We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode is sponsored by Untuck It. Hey guys, and welcome back to Little Legends Podcast, episode 21, the last one of, or I guess the first one of the decade, if you're listening in podcast land, but the last live one of the decade. I am your host, the Blevins. Joining me as always is Boop. What's up, buddy? Giving you the double hand salute. <laughs> and joining us today, our illustrious guest, none other than Mort Dog. Thank you for coming on the show today, bud. Praise him. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Oh, man. Yeah, this is definitely uh, we're both very excited to have you on. Uh, I have uh, consumed a lot of your content uh, from streams (laughs) to tweets to everything. And uh, obviously, we've played a lot of TFT. So very, very happy uh, to have you on. Yeah, like I said, glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we do. We are going to be talking to Mort extensively today. So if you are listening live uh, get some questions in in chat. We will can't promise we'll get to everything because we are on a little bit of a time schedule here. But uh, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions. But we are going to get to what we can uh, before we jump in. And really, I mean, we're we're just more. I'm sorry, we're we're going to grill you today. Uh, oh no problem. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a laundry list. We've got a laundry list of uh, questions here, but we do have a little bit of housekeeping to do before that. Of course, guys, uh, we are a prediction esports podcast, P-R-W-D-C-D-I-T-C-I-O-N. Uh, you know, you guys know how to spell it by the way this point even though i'm looking at it and still can't spell it uh make sure to follow us on there as well as on this feed as well uh and of course uh you can support us over at patreon.com slash little legends podcast as well no new patrons this week but uh we have had a lot of support in the past few weeks so thank you guys for that 
Hey guys, this is Future Blevins here. I'm jumping in because we didn't quite get to all of the news and housekeeping on the show. Obviously wanted to take as much time and get as many questions in with Mort. So I'm just gonna jump in here and talk about some of the things that we didn't get to do on the live show. One thing I wanted to announce here is that this Friday, we are doing the first game night collaboration with Giant Slayer. So around 8.30 Eastern time on Friday, we're gonna be at twitch.tv slash Giant Slayer for game night. If you wanna play, go over to uh, discord.me slash Little Legends Podcast. It's still gonna be in the same Discord. We're gonna be on a different Twitch channel. It's gonna be nice and fancy. We're gonna have all sorts of cool stuff there. So make sure you're checking out that. We're also, um, now we're also, Giant Slayer is also doing uh, their fight nights, which used to be the Heroes Hearth fight nights. Everything for Heroes Hearth that is TFT related is now Giant Slayer. So uh, if you're wondering where that's from, uh, 9, 9 Eastern, twitch.tv slash Heroes Hearth. This is going to be the last one on the Heroes Hearth channel, um, but it's the same, it's the same fight night series that we've been talking about and that you guys have seen. So make sure you check that out. It's going to be on Heroes Earth now. It will be on Giant Slayer TV moving forward. Uh, The other piece of news here is the Fandom Legends tournament has concluded. Uh, We saw the end there. Uh, Grand Vice actually ended up taking that one down, and I got to watch a little bit of that uh, over the holiday he dominated that last, uh, the last few rounds there. I think he won, he got first in two or maybe three of five matches. I think in three of five matches, he got first place in that lobby, and that was a stack lobby. Um, but down the line, we had Grand Vice in first, Dark Hydra in second, uh, Liquid Hyped in third, Alan ZQ in fourth, Bersalis in fifth, Salvi in sixth, Crowen, friend of the show in seventh and tabs in eighth so a just an absolutely stacked lobby and grand vice just dominated he ended up with 46 points second place had 34 so just like a a a lap ahead (laughs) in a lot of ways so it was definitely a great event to watch uh hoping to see more of this type of event in the future uh with this competitive tournament and uh was a really great one to watch um and huge shout outs to fandom legends and state farm for sponsoring them uh was just a cool was just a cool event all right guys we're gonna get back to the live show i guess the what was live then but uh, anyway i'll send you guys back over enjoy the rest of the show and enjoy the interview with more dog okay now we'll start the show off like we always do and we'll start with our guest mort and just talk a little bit about how how was your week in TFT? I know uh, we saw we saw Santa Mort play some games last week, uh, but any, any any notable games for you? Anything anything stand out to you? Uh, nothing too crazy. I've actually been trying to not play TFT for a week because I've been so like hundred percent TFT for about six months straight. Uh, that being said, I did jump on PBE uh, yesterday or today actually and played a few games. Uh, a lot of second places is what I kept running into. Could never quite finish and seal the deal. So, but trying out all the new items. 
I, I've had the same thing actually the last like three or four games. I mean, there's been some sixth and uh, eighth places intermingled in there, but I've been <laughs> like, I've been like, oh man, I'm super far ahead. I'm get, I got top four, and then I just get to I'm like either playing against Blender or like a really strong like Warden's comp, and I'm like, I just my poor Olaf, he can't he can't seal the deal. He's got he's got second place written all over him. Always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boop, what about you? Anything, any, any crazy games for you this week? Uh, yeah, so it's actually really funny. So my husband got like some sinus surgery. Um, I'm sure the second anyone sees him, it's like how someone goes to Harvard. It's like the first thing you mention uh, when you meet them. Um, and so I've been like kind of stressed out about that because I, I see one self-admitted he's a drama queen and so when i play <laughs> tft that's always in the back of my mind right like what is he gonna ask for next and so <laughs> i haven't gotten to actually like dive in until like the other day uh where i was uh finally like <laughs> i was like i need some space all right i've been helping you too much <laughs> And I'm and I'm gonna go play some games. And so I got into some uh, TFT, and I got whipped, whipped hard, man, <laughs> super hardcore. I am out of practice. This is not something that like uh, I felt like was like riding a bike. Before I've taken some breaks and like came back, I was like, all right, all right, these are the things that are good, and blah blah blah. But this time around, man, all my games have been awful. Um, and it's all it's all on me. It has nothing to do with Mort. <laughs> I wish I could say it was his fault, but. It's my fault, and that's unfortunate. But really, at the end, it's really my husband's fault for getting surgery, <laughs> and so that's my uh, that's my week in TFT. Cheers. Yeah, I uh, like I was saying, I've had a lot of a lot of second places, but I've been I've been actually like steadily climbing. I'm I'm making my way back through plat, almost back in plat two, I think. Um, nice. Yeah, I wanna I wanna get back to diamond like I was in season one, but I don't know. It's Whew. it's it 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 it's feeling like it might be a little tough but we'll uh we'll see uh, each each pat i mean this actually 9.24b has actually been very very nice to me but uh there's been some where i've just been like it just didn't click for me it took took a little bit but uh watching uh, hours and hours of challenger players uh, on yeah. stream is very uh is very diamond helpful. 2 is where i've peaked so far this season nice. which is higher than i was set 1 uh, this wouldn't shouldn't surprise anyone, but I usually play best right when a new patch hits. <laughs> it's almost like I know a little bit more. <laughs> Weird. That's so funny. So, um, quick question before we get on, because this kind of like uh, reminds me of something. And so you like you work so closely with the game. Like when you play, do you ever like see something and just like one, you're like, ah, I'm proud of that one, or two, it's like, oh, got to change that, right? Because oh, yeah. you would, I, I think you would assume that since you work so closely with the game, that it'd be very easy for you to like notice those things. But on the other side, like when you're playing, you do you go through all like the different kinds of strategies because diamond two is pretty high, but since you make the game, maybe some people might expect that to be higher. Yeah. So that's actually one of the reasons why I struggle to climb pretty heavily is I'm always trying all the different strategies to see like what's working, what's not. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you see this sometimes when I play on stream, it's like, I don't know, let's try four, four desert six berserker this time. See how that goes. Why isn't it that working? What's wrong with it? What's, you know? Uh, and so Oftentimes, like I, if I wanted to climb, it's like, sure, I could run Blender and Berserkers every game. Great. Uh, no problem. But that's not going to help me be better at developing the game and understanding why light doesn't work, for example. Uh, in fact, right before this, I played a live game, just a normal real quick, tried to force light. And it's like, why isn't light working? What's its weakness? Where is it struggling? 
Like, what would we have to change to make this comp work in a current meta? Uh, you know, and so like that's part of the process that you have to do when you're playing the games. That that seems like a double sided sword, man. Or you know, it's 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 one of those things where you want to try to enjoy yourself and and appreciate the game that you you develop, but at the same time, it's like seeing you know a piece of art that you know all the mistakes on right it's <laughs> yep, like when an artist yep. shows you their work the first thing they'll do is point out what's wrong with it right so i'm sure you're doing a lot of that on your own that's got to be tough to balance it's definitely tough at times uh, it's, it's interesting because like we have our perception of what the game is and what the game should be and then you see how players end up playing the game and how it ends up uh so for example you know we've been wanting six inferno to be a pretty playable comp for a while and we know that like it's definitely something that can succeed, but it, players were struggling to find out how to build into it. Like, you can't just buy all the Inferno and make it work. You have to plan around Wardens and things like that. And so then when it finally comes together, there's a bit of like, ha, I told you so. I knew it. I knew what was going on here. <laughs> um, but at the same time, when like that doesn't play out and you're like, well, wait, why aren't Rangers working? No one's building them. What's going on? Are we wrong? Are they wrong? What's going on? You know, because sometimes like, we talk about balance on both league and TFT and it's like perception is sometimes more powerful than actual numbers. So mm -hmm. perception is reality is something uh, a wise man once said to me once. Yeah. 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 I mean, we saw, I mean, berserkers were on and were just as we're relatively close to as powerful as they are now for a long time. And just, I remember when they first came out, what, uh, some people in our community, playing and it was like yeah these just aren't good but then it was like oh the unlock is you need to have a hush on olaf or you need to have rfc on olaf or both yep and it's like oh all of a sudden they went from like this isn't worth it at all to this is a very legitimate strategy and nothing changed except for oh people realize that that's good yeah um, or even, even something as simple as like some bold statements like you could never have a melee carry and it's like well turns out if you give that melee carry a ton of lifesteal and attack speed and survivability it can work or you can never have a comp with six melee units. It's just impossible the way they group up. And it's like, well, if they all cleave, <laughs> sure enough, like mm -hmm. that could actually work. So yeah. the, the other yeah. uh, the other assumption was that a household appliance could never be at the top of the meta. But here we, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the blender. blender. The blender. And, and blender, blender is one of those things like you didn't want it to be good. Like we never wanted blender to be this amazing comp. It was cool that it was discovered this in interesting interaction, mm -hmm. but when you know why it's good behind the scenes, you're like, "Ugh, that shouldn't work that way. God <laughs> dang it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good, the good news is obviously you have the ability to patch these things. That's the beauty of an online game. And even though TFT's not technically a card game, I guess, I don't know. I don't <laughs> It feels very much like a card game, at least to me, someone who's come from Magic the Gathering and Hearthstone and all those other, mm -hmm. you know, traditional card games. And uh, I don't know how much you still pay attention to MTG Mort, but Oko uh, was a big thing uh, that uh, a Planeswalker from the newest set and mm -hmm. boy, oh boy, was he a bad thing for the matter. <laughs> you, you think blender you think uh uh you think blender's bad imagine if people are paying 50 dollars for nocturnes and yep, then they yep. and then you have to change it or ban it 
Uh, yep. that's what, uh, and that's part of the reason why I don't play paper magic anymore, but that's a, a whole other, uh, I, I remember all those cycles. Like the, the time when I was deepest in magic was the, uh, Urza's saga way back in the day. Oh, okay. So they had the like broken, broken lands, things. like yep. Gaia's cradle and yep. oh God. Tolarian yep. Academy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> boops just just silently nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, magic, the gathering. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I think that actually um transitions into kind of uh, our first like official question because you talked about your past. So, what is kind of your your gaming origin? You you posted something on Twitter recently about some of the landmarks of your gaming life. I'd love to hear it from yeah. the the Mort God himself. What kind of got you to this point? Yeah. So. Uh, it all started. It, I'm going to try to go quick here, but uh, biggest start was I was like five years old and my mother and grandmother bought me a small, like 13 inch TV, which, at, you know, it's 1988. So that's a big deal. And an NES. And it was like, holy crap. And I was just from there. I was just playing games all the time. You kind of know how it is. Um, <laughs> sure do. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So it's like any chance I could get play games. So just imagine that all the way through high school, playing games, playing games, uh, always wanted to be a game designer. Uh, so graduate high school, went to University of Washington for a semester. Oh, my sister works there. Interesting. Yeah. All right, continue. Sorry. I was there for one <laughs> semester and I was like, this isn't going to help me be a game designer. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Dropped out. Uh, went back to working at McDonald's for a bit because I'd, I'd done that in high school. Um, then found DigiPen, which is a gaming school up in uh, Seattle. Um, and it was like they had programming and art degrees at the time. They didn't have a game design degree. And I was like, okay, at least it would get me in the industry. It's better than nothing. I'm, I'm applying. I'm going in. Got there. Uh, did their programming degree. Now, what's crazy, though, is like my sophomore year, uh, Nintendo Software Technology, which was right next door at the time, they opened up a game design internship. And this is like unprecedented. They'd never done it before. And they did it once after. So pretty crazy. And it was only open for juniors and seniors. Oh. And I was a sophomore. And I was like, no, like <laughs> you have to let me try. Because I'd grown up playing a ton of console games. I was basically uh NES, NES 64 mm -hmm. kind of gamer. Didn't have PC till like 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, applied, uh, beat out everyone else, did their level design test, beat out everyone else, got the internship, which was like, hallelujah. So then my last two years, I was going to school and working at Nintendo as a level design intern. Um, and then just stuck with it. Then from there, just years and years of, uh, you know, working at Nintendo, shipping games, worked my way up to director, came to Riot. Rest is history. Um, but yeah, like I said, as far as games go, a lot of console games. PC right around uh, 17 with StarCraft. World of Warcraft was big from like 18 to 24. Uh, I have a couple Realm First, Realm First seventy, I think it is. Nice. So that was kind of fun. Nice, man. This yeah. is some like, man. We're all. This is some boomer stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. <laughs> this is it the really boomer is. show. <laughs> well, I think uh, it's it's crazy how uh, you know the gaming industry is all about just like putting your knuckles to the ground and just kind of like walking uphill both ways to school in two yep. feet of snow, right? It kind of is like the 
epitome of that. So what kind of at Nintendo got you most prepared for what you're doing now? Because that's obviously like the basis of a lot of your experience. How has that Mm -hmm. helped you uh, at Riot? What are some skills that you learned there as a young developer that you're still using now as someone who is a little bit more experienced? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I think every game designer falls into a trap, especially when they're young, is like they go in there and they're like, all right, I get to make games. Time to make a game I would love. I would love to make this kind of game with deep, complex systems, mm-hmm. and it'll be great. And I remember my boss at the time, it was like I, maybe my like third day at work, and she's like, oh, Mort, you have to learn. We don't make games for you. We make games <laughs> for everybody. True, and it, mm-hmm. it was like very blunt, but it was very real, because the, the, like the biggest thing you learn is like, as a someone who's like deeply engaged in the gaming ecosystem, you're probably in the 95th percentile at least. And then someone who's a game designer, you're probably in the 99th percentile. Mm -hmm. And then someone who's, you know, platinum or whatever, like you're in the 99.9th percentile. And so your perspective is very different than everyone else's perspective. Uh, And so at Nintendo, we had this thing. We called it the 35-year-old mom test, which, by the way, (laughs) made me feel old now that I'm older than that. Uh, But we would bring in like 35-year-old moms who like, barely played games mm-hmm. and have them play the game. And it was like eye opening where it's like, Oh, that's what they struggle with. They don't even know. Oh God. And we actually did something similar when we redid leagues tutorial. And it was the same thing where uh, we had a couple designers who were younger on the team be like, Oh, I didn't even wait. They don't know how to right click. Oh God. <laughs> oh no. Yep. <laughs> Excuse me. It's grandson. <laughs> uh, 95% of the people we had test the new tutorial. First thing they did they burned heel because oh, it's on crazy. D. Wazdi. Oh, yeah. Oh. First thing every time. That's that's like those. That's like some eye-opening stuff, right? Like, and yep. why UI is so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just like you don't know how me as a you know the thirty-year-old guy is going to interact with this particular piece of UI versus my mom, who you know I don't even know if she knows where to put her hands on my keyboard. Right. Yep. Yep. Crazy. And so, and so one of the biggest skills as a game designer we can have is like empathy for a bunch of different people and different perspectives and how they'll perceive things. And so it's like, yeah, knowing how a challenger player will interact with TFT is one thing, but what about your, your silver player? How do they interact with it? How do they see? Uh, and in TFT terms, the example I always bring up recently is Olaf, where it's like Olaf is really frustrating if you don't know how to counter him mm-hmm. and seems overpowered and broken. But actually, at like challenger level, he's like kind of okay, uh, you know. So it's like, how do you make sure that the lower skilled player can understand that and feels fair and figure out the counter versus the higher skilled player? Yeah. Uh, also, never tell people how to beat Olaf because I need to get higher in rank before <laughs> I need to grind up a little bit higher before people start countering my Olaf. Okay. <laughs> Good thing that's not what this podcast is about today. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I will. I will have to. I will be about the whole show if we start giving away how to beat Olaf. Um, <laughs> nice, he's nice. unbeatable, guys. Don't don't let Mort Mort doesn't know he Mort, Olaf's actually unbeatable. When you see me yep. playing Olaf, yep. just just sell all your units. Accept uh, your fate. Yeah, just accept just accept the fate of the bearded of the bearded Viking. Um, yeah. So you started um, at Nintendo, and obviously, I know just from listening to your streams that you worked on uh, um, puzzle games uh, mm-hmm. at least at some point. What kind of got you yep. into like 
strategy games um, versus obviously you could have been in platformers. I mean, Nintendo does the full variety. What what kind of led you towards strategy games and eventually into the TFT? Yeah, so this is something interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize about the gaming industry is like the best designers don't actually get to necessarily work on what they want, mm. you know? And so it's like, I actually don't really like puzzle games that much. They're just not really my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but it was what NST was making when they hired me and what we were told to make for a long time. And so uh, if you can be a good designer, at something that you're not super passionate about and find a way to be passionate about it. That'll prove that like when you finally get to work on something you do want, just how much better you'll even be. Uh, one of the games I had to work on at Nintendo was called Crosswords Plus. I learned more about crossword puzzles than I would ever want to know. I don't enjoy crossword puzzles, but like you learn it and you understand it because it's the job and you, you go real deep because that's what you need to do. Uh, strategy games is kind of similar. Like I played Starcraft, Fire Emblem, uh, Disgaea were kind of big ones, but like strategy is not really like my main genre that I'm like super passionate about. But when Dota Auto Chess came out, it was like, okay, this is getting big and okay, we're starting to invest in it. I should really go deep and understand this. So I put like 150 hours into Dota Auto Chess, you know, was researching TFT. And it's like, that's part of the job is just understanding things that aren't necessarily your favorite. So what are your favorites then? Like <laughs> on, a, on a more positive, <laughs> like, so like what, what kind of gets those gears going? I mean, Wait, so b- I would love that question, to make, oh yeah. Before that one, sorry, I have a follow-up. Are we going to see a tft crossword puzzle oh god no <laughs> oh, man. you used one no. of your interruptions for that question uh, i had to. all right <laughs> i'm glad it was it's it's valuable it's the stock market it's a bull market yeah. i completely oh. understand oh. <laughs> uh no favorite genres though um metroidvanias have been mm-hmm. sort of my like if i could work on anything it would be a metroidvania uh, I've been begging Riot to let me do that. It'll never happen, but someday. <laughs> it sounds nuts to me to try to like develop. Oh That's man, fun. because they're because uh, Castlevania and stuff, right? That stuff seems yep. so hard. There's so much there, and it's like, how do you balance difficulty and stuff? Is that kind of what like speaks to you about it? And like, yeah. So, like so actually, our sophomore project at Digipen was a co-op Metroidvania. Um, sick. But it's a combination of like the level design as well as the RPG systems that like Castlevania brought to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found over my career, I'm really passionate about the systems, which is one of the things I love about working on TFT is TFT is actually just a domino of systems applying to each other, right? Like how do the items affect the moves, affect the characters, affect the, and so like that mathematical part of it has been something that's fascinated me for a long time. Metroidvanias have that to a degree, as well as like the pathfinding of like, what's the optimal route Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, Other things like, I don't know if I'd ever want to work on one, but I like I like playing platformers. Those are fun. Uh, and then the other big one is uh, like loot grinders, like Diablo three. Mm, I'd love to it. work on something like that. Oh man, I love platformers. Do you remember the Lion King platformer on I the Sega do. Genesis? <laughs> that was like the hardest game I've ever played. I liked the Aladdin one. platformer for Super. That Nintendo. was good too. Disney uh, Disney actually made some good games back in the day. You, 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 there's a like bundle now that has both those games on it for like Switch. What? Oh. Um, it's what? like 30 bucks 
And it's got this whole like yeah rewind feature. Yep, yep. Yeah, my my wallet is literally levitating in front of me. Wait, it's just it has like, a, please take me. Wait, wait, wait. It has a rewind function and not the ability to put in the old passwords with like the genie <laughs> face. I, man, I bet I, I think I, you can do that too. Oh, okay. Because I actually had like the old manual when I was like a, a kid, and me and my parents and my brother like wrote down like like drew a like genie face aladdin abu and that like gets yep. to like the uh nice. the like the the genie dream level which is we like i didn't even care about beating the game i just kept playing that, that level over and over again when i was a little kid yeah uh, well yeah. back then they made games hard because you couldn't make games long right so yeah. in order to right. in order to like keep playing and get a lot of play time out of it they had to make them extremely difficult well and it's, there it's was funny yeah, go ahead. There, there's that aspect, but there's also like it goes back to what I was just saying about how we don't make games for ourselves. Uh huh. You see this a lot with indie developers, right? Like they make a game and they're all really hard, and they end up that way because oftentimes those indie developers are, mm. frankly, a combination of inexperienced and not necessarily looking at like a broader target. Mm-hmm. And so they make it for themselves, and it's like they play it every day, and it ends up hard. And they're like, "That's not that hard." <laughs> uh, I, I, notoriously, I look at things like Super Meat Boy's like last few levels, and you're like, "What? <laughs> what about the first few levels? Because that's where I that's where I got caught up on Super Meat Boy. Like I beat Super Meat Boy, and then you get to the Dark World, and you're just like, dude, come on, it's come even, on now. This is even fun anymore. Yeah, and clearly there are a, a small subset of people who do find it fun, mm-hmm. but I think that's sort of what we were going through in the early mm-hmm. phases of the industry as well. Is it's like this is what's fun, you know? Yeah. Well, that small subset of people are playing in games done quick right now, which is which Boop has on his second monitor while, <laughs> while, this, nice. while this podcast nice. is going on. So uh, that's not true, <laughs> but it's a good idea. Um, <laughs> no, I got I got to put all of my focus on the Morkod here. Uh, so uh, you you talked about your you know what your favorites are and how you like the different trees in you know the Auto Battler, how everything mm-hmm. is kind of like dominoes related. So. You liked it. You mentioned that Riot was exploring it. When did Riot start thinking about this, right? What was the moment that they're like, all right, we're going to make this game? Was it influenced by the popularity of Dota Auto Chess, or was it something that you always had in mind? Yeah, so so League of Legends was basically, I mean, historically was formed from the original Dota, you know, and like the popularity and Riot's success is sort of attributed to we took a game that was sort of like blooming a new genre and we were like hey that's cool and we made our you know our spin on it we made it better and the rest is history and so oftentimes i think riot is looking for things like that so fast forward to auto chess where meddler and a couple other people around the office had sort of discovered it and were like this is really fun this is pretty cool and it was taking off really well in china at first and then started to spread as well amongst the dota community and so it was another opportunity where it was like this seems really cool. There's a bunch of stuff that we hate about this. There's a bunch of stuff we love about this. What if we did our spin on it? And so Medler worked with a bunch of the other leadership team and sort of was like, okay, let's do our take on this. Can we make that happen? The team started prototyping, uh, figured out that was possible, and then pushed from there. Um, but there was even debate of like, should this be its own game and its own engine? Should it be inside of League? You know, lots of conversations in that regard. Um, and so we've been pretty open that like the the fact that Dota Auto Chess was so much fun, we're like, this is really cool, new genre, let's do it ourselves. And so now what we've got is like we've got TFT in our hands, which as I keep mentioning is like a new genre. 
and we're still learning like what this genre looks like six months later, a year later, because there's no blueprint for that, you know? That's definitely true. I mean, the one thing I miss about playing original Dota Auto Chess, the mod, is just the fact that I have to like press Z to on oh my God. on my horse to sell you. I mean, is Ugh. there any thought of putting that back? God, it was so bad. <laughs> the controls were definitely challenging, and I'm sure the developers were dealing with like the limitations of the yeah. engine or mm-hmm. whatever, but they were rough. And that was, I mean. That was like the easiest thing. It was like you'd look at this and go, okay, the UI needs to be better. Mm-hmm. Sure. Great. But what about the gameplay? How do we make this our own? And that's where like Volti and the team, because uh, Volti was the lead designer before I joined, uh, they did a lot of cool stuff like the hexes. Um, they got rid of spell cooldowns, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were some pretty good innovations that I think have helped us. Yeah. I mean, going into obviously. Um, you know, designing a, a similar game or a game in, in the same genre, you know, how much were you actually looking to change from uh, a, a game like Auto Chess? Like, how, you know, was there a metric or a, a point in time where you're like, okay, this feels different? This is, this is TFT. This isn't just the Riot skin on Auto Chess. Uh, I don't think there was a particular metric of like, we need to hit this bar and be this different. Because uh, even something as simple as like the hexes versus the squares was something that was debated for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really more just about like, okay, we're trying to make our take on this genre. What does the best version of that look like? Knowing our understanding of game design and the industry and what players want. And so how do we how do we do what's the best for that? And if that ended up being super similar to Dota Auto Chess, I think we would have been okay with that. Mm. It just so happened that there were certain calls and certain changes that that wasn't the case so yeah interesting so you you've mentioned your your team a lot right so what is the structure of that team Uh, how many people are on it because i think a lot of people are very curious as to like what the inner workings of riot and how they give all the resources because after the 10-year anniversary you guys look like a company of like 8 million people right (laughs) it's definitely a big company it's definitely a big company um i always avoid answering this question explicitly though because like when you say how big is the team, right? I could talk about like the core team, but what that would do is that would sort of not give credit to a lot of the support people that don't necessarily Mm -hmm. get to be part of the core team, but are doing a lot of really valuable work. Uh, So for example, like approximate number, I think we have like seven designers right now. It's like seven or eight, uh, a couple engineers, a couple artists, things like that, that might be the core team, product managers like Maple, uh, dev managers, but but then again, we also have people like our insights people who are helping us. Um, we've got marketing, publishing people. And again, like when I start naming these people, it's not like this is their only job, yeah. but they're helping on the team a lot. Uh, we've got, you know, the esports side that are working on the competitive coming up. Um, you know, and there's like a bunch to name. Even someone like Medler, who is technically the head designer of League of Legends. Well, TFT is part of League of Legends, so he has to come by and make sure we're doing things, you know, so. And that's where, like, if you add it all up, it's, like, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, probably 100 of those are maybe giving it, you know, 5 to 10 hours of their time a week. Mm-hmm. And a bunch more are giving it 40, and a bunch more are giving it, you know, more. And so, Yeah. It's just, it's, it takes a lot of people to run such a big game that is played by millions of people across the world. Even something as simple as like the servers running, right? And like, yeah. there were a couple bugs over the holiday. 
yeah, yeah. there were a couple bugs over the holiday and it's like i don't know who's fixing those <laughs> it's somebody and they deserve credit so yeah those qa guys man they need they they deserve that credit and i'm not saying that facetiously qa it's a tough job man and yeah uh, where it's they're super valued because we wouldn't know what some of those problems were uh if it was, wasn't for those girls and guys uh doing it for us oh we would yeah, and so that's why like i don't i don't like to answer the how big is the team because 200 sounds like a lot but for a normal game development team it's actually like i i think we're pretty small and it's coming from right nst where we were a core team of 45. Yeah, it kind of mm-hmm. sounds like you guys are like your own little indie studio within Riot. It's kind of like when, when I hear like seven developers and we get help otherwise, it's kind of what it reminds me of. But kind of. Totally off. Yeah, kind of. And especially like the core team that started building TFT, like from the ground up, they were like a real guerrilla small team of like 15 people. Actually, that might even be too many, but early on it was just like them. We hid them in a corner and they worked their butts off to get that <laughs> game going. Uh, yeah, and and we thank them for that work because, of course, absolutely wouldn't be here if they <laughs> if they weren't absolutely. I, I, and I, I got to say, just personally, because I came in and I had played um, I'd played Dota Auto Chess. Just I thought it was fun, um, but it didn't really captivate me. And like when Underlords came out and TFT came out, kind of in the same general, and then the like the continuation of Auto Chess, but in its own client, like. I like them enough. I like all of them enough. Um, but I didn't have any particular, you know, I hadn't played League of Legends in close to 10 years. Like, I think I, I looked back and I stopped playing League of Legends in like 2010. So, like, I had no bias towards TFT other than the fact that, like, the game itself brought me in. Like, a lot of the, mm-hmm. like, even like you mentioned, the spell cooldowns not being there, like, that type of, like, almost like we open the floodgates of, like, you can kind of do anything and it might not be good. Um, but you can yep. kind of break the rules, so to speak. And that really kind of spoke to me. Um, and is that kind of like a, a, a core philosophy for uh, for you and the design team? Like having that sort of like unlimited potential in a way? Like you can have 58 Zeds. Now, there's been times when that maybe was a problem, uh, yeah. but it, maybe so, it's not always good. So this is an interesting thing because, uh, you know, while I am the design lead, there are a bunch of designers on the team, each with their own opinions and insight. And realistically, like, we don't always see eye to eye. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, like, you mentioned the Zed example. Mm -hmm. Zed's an example where if I had got my way, actually, we probably wouldn't have shipped Zed. He would have been a much more boring champion Hmm. uh, because I'm more hyper-focused on, like, the balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas Riot Whitrock, in this case, is much more, like, this would be awesome. And it's valuable <laughs> to have both. It really is. Because like sometimes you need to push the boundaries mm-hmm. to come up with something really exciting and cool. And I look back at that All-Stars moment where it was the Zeds versus the Sivir and the Nocturne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like, who's going to win? This is crazy. And everyone like replays that clip from All-Stars. And that was a really hype moment that wouldn't have happened if I had been like, nope, balance is important. It's <laughs> no fun allowed. You know? And so... And I also bring this up because, like, certainly T, for example, who was on the team until, like, halfway through set one, Mm -hmm. he was also really good at pushing the boundaries and doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, The item system and how it interacts with everything else was something he worked on. And so having lots of designers who are willing to, like, push things beyond their boundaries and come up with really fun scenarios balanced with people who are like, okay, 
I see what you're trying to do. How can I make that work? Let's mm. edit it down a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, I like this, but this can maybe wait for next set. Yeah, let's yeah. try that. <laughs> Have you ever had a time when you're like oh man this is awesome but then you're you sort of have like the the angel and the devil and you're like oh man i could keep this in and it's super broken but <laughs> uh, i really need to i really need to 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 nerf this yeah down a little. So, yeah. Flux. so here's a really good example actually sivir when uh riot whitrock first made sivir mm-hmm. it was actually not a spell it was passive ricochet and she's going to have low AD, oh. passive ricochet. And I was like, that's literally never going to work. I could make her AD zero, and I will break the game with this. Let me show you. My computer and might not be able to run that. And we did one play test. We did one play test where I put two Titanic Hydras on Sivir, and I just went, <laughs> I mean, just saying. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We're, we're, t- we're testing right now. I, um, I want that now. Now, I kind of wish I didn't ask no, that question don't. because now I I'll say with Hush, you really don't. You, <laughs> you don't really that. don't. You that don't is that true. Moment. That is that is true. Uh, oh, man. That <laughs> so would... I think that um, I think that kind of like, oh, Blev, did you want to say something? No, I, I, I didn't. I'm just I'm just thinking <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that Sivir with two Titanic Hydras for a long time now. Well, it's and, just like one of those things where you just want to see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of my job is like. We have a lot of really talented designers working on the sets and coming up with cool ideas. And it's my job to go, okay, I see what you're trying to do here. How do we make this work to bring out the fun while also making it work in the game? Here's how it could maybe work. Awesome. So I think that kind of like uh, before, you know, we kind of sectioned out this particular episode with like where TFT started, where it's going to go and some random mm-hmm. things later, because we all need to know which little legend tastes <laughs> the best. But yeah. <laughs> uh, th- that is the most important question that we're going to ask you, but it will yeah. happen after the break. But um, to kind of close out this origins aspect, uh, you know, you talked about what the design team's goals were. Um do you feel like you've hit most of those goals so far? And is there anything that you still feel like you're striving for? Like, is there anything that's kind of peeking out at you? That's like, we still haven't solved this particular problem, but we're trying, like we're putting a ton of resources into it right now. So there's a, there's a bunch there. I think from the origin side, like we set out to make a new genre of game, uh, you know, the random tactic battler, whatever you want to call it. I guess auto battler is what the actual mm-hmm. name is. Uh, and I think we've succeeded in that regard. Uh, but now that we have this new genre in our hands, we're still trying to figure out exactly what's best for this genre. For example, the one that always comes up is like rate of change. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. set one, we have had B patch after B patch and every B patch was 20 things changing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh my goodness, this is a lot. And <laughs> a lot of the more casual players were like, cool. I played a week ago. I have no idea anything works by not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've definitely toned that down. But even still, we're like trying to dissect, well, okay, what kind of change makes sense? Uh, I was having a conversation with Riot Jag at a football game, actually. And he said it really well, where he's like, actually, what I think is going on here is when you add new things to the game, players are like, cool, new things, I'm excited, I'm happy, no big deal. Uh, when you start to mess with what's familiar to them, mm-hmm. that's where it starts to really like break Mm-hmm. the immersion and like understanding of the game it's like wait i used to love running kindred and now three star kindred's not good what i don't mm-hmm. understand ah and so like we're making revelations like that as we go where it's like oh, okay so this genre needs this kind of thing or and so that's why i'm pretty confident like every set's going to be better than the next 
but these are the kind of learnings I think that are going to be key to continuing this genre long term. Mm-hmm. Well, if if that's the case, I mean, we've said it on the show multiple times, but set two has felt like a completely new game uh, in a good way to us. And just like, I mean, even, I mean, how many weeks or how many, how, I, I, can't, I don't even know how long set two has been out at this point, but it's just, it still feels fresh to me. It still, still feels good in a way that like, I was still into set one, but there were definitely, t- there were like definitely times in set one where I was like, okay, I, I'm yep. good with I'm good with where this is right now. Yep. I'm yep. gonna step away for a second and play. Uh, where now it's like I mean, people are always gonna complain about Blender or whatever the whatever the boogeyman is. Um, but even that, it like it doesn't feel the same. It feels it feels really good. So I just wanted well, to and and using that as an example, I think one of the key learnings going from set one to set two was like. If anything is going to be dominant, like let's say it's Ocean Mage, like let's not pick on Blender because it's weird mm-hmm. and buggy and whatever. Ocean Mage is a comp we definitely intended to be strong. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. If Ocean Mage is in a dominant meta, the way the set is designed is that you can do things like Poison and Mystic. And so, okay, then the meta will shift to Poison and Mystic. And then when that happens, people will start running Rangers and Predators. And you're like, oh, okay. And so, like, that's the kind of healthy ecosystem we need to get to eventually, where it's just like, the meta sort of balances itself out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because you'll see that in a lobby, right? You'll, you'll see <laughs> kind of like in, in like a microcosm of, okay, so no one's really running this particular comp. So these comps are going to be stronger and they happen yep. really small. But as you expand outward in terms of design philosophy, it makes sense in terms of, okay, this could be like a self-sustaining ecosystem, right? In terms of, It'll it'll transition based off of what is strong, but what is strong is never going to be you know throat on the neck type of experience. Uh, some of the challengers were joking around because uh, Ace of Spades, who's mm-hmm. a high level challenger who puts out a bunch of videos, yep. uh, he had just put out a video on like how to run Blender, and then right after he put out the video, there, you could look up his match history, and he was playing a bunch of Wardens and Electric. <laughs> things that counter it specifically and everyone was like galaxy brain ace of yep. spades mm-hmm. i know right oh man that dude's good at this I, game i always <laughs> wanted to like i always a long time ago when i was uh mtg was playing paper and mtgo and all that stuff i always wanted to like get to a point where my stream got big enough where if i played a deck people would like invest in that card and you could just like galaxy brand it's like oh man i own ten thousand tibalt so i'm gonna play a deck with tibalt i'm gonna top eight a gp and i'm gonna be a billionaire it's like yeah yep, yep. Like, like <laughs> that happens brand. in a lot of card games yeah where you're it like does. i'm gonna make this card happen Right. <laughs> oh, I thought I, I I thought you meant my actual thought of uh, I'm going to be a billionaire from this card game. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's uh, going to need this card. Yes, everyone's going to yeah. need it. But uh, that is a good place to put a little bit of a pin here. We're going to be back in just a minute here after the break with Mortdog. We'll see you then. The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means? Gifts. And what better gift to give the guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Ever seen an untucked button-down? They look... bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your shape or size, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. 
Believe me, big guy like me does not like having to shop for shirts that don't fit. But with Untuck It, there's 50 plus fit combinations. They look great on tall, short, slim, athletic guys of all ages. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the break. We are, of course, of course, of course, joined here with Mort Dog, and we've got some good questions. We've got the chat questions streaming in. Um, we had a good one that kind of uh, related back to the last segment. So um, this one, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't catch who who said it, but they asked, was what what was the feeling? Because um, obviously. You know, you're you're jumping into a new game uh, with TFT, even though it's a, you know, auto chess had already been at least somewhat proven. But what was the feeling when, you know, that first sort of public release where people are waiting hours and hours to get in uh, to the beta and just like seeing that amount of reception before the game's even released? How, how did that feel? What was that like uh, in that experience early on? Okay, so I'm going to speak a little bit for the team because, like I said, I was not quite a full member at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'll sell you is it was really interesting because, like, Auto Chess was out, the team was working their butt off, and they had a set date that they wanted to get the game out by because they're like, if we beat the competition to this genre, like, that'll be a big deal. Like, yeah. being sort of the big thing, the mm-hmm. big deal, we got to do this. And so, like, right when we kind of announced the game, but it wasn't playable yet. We we're like, cool, here it is. Uh, it's coming, it's great. Everyone was like, sweet, we're almost at the finish line. And then Underlords announced, like, what, two days after? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we theorized, like, whether or not we affected that or not, but it was like, whoa. And there was a lot of, like, well, wait a minute, their UI is really crisp and clean, and ours is kind of not at the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh oh. Um, but uh, Maple, who was a really good lead on the team, was like, no, no, we're sticking to our guns. We're doing this. I am confident in this game. It's fun. We're doing this. Uh, and from what we saw, we were like, we're, we're confident in how fun this game is. So then we shipped it to PBE. Reception was what it was. And the team was like, yes. You know, like <laughs> starting to be worth. This is a big deal. This is great. Uh, and I think that gave everyone the energy they needed to finish the game up and get it out the door. And it was pretty crazy. And everyone was starting to get real like, well, wait a minute. If it's this big, because uh, we had like we had numbers that we had sort of shot called where it's like if the if the number is here the game is like eh, we tried mm-hmm. and if the number is here cool we did it and if the number's here this is blowing our expectations out of the water and like at one point I heard we had doubled that top shot call that's <laughs> wow. crazy and so it was like okay <laughs> all right we're here <laughs> guess we're doing this thing yep. yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think that um, that that's really that's really cool because it's it's cool to hear about like the infancy of a game, how it was birthed, right? It has the gestation period of uh, what's happening. So let's talk about what's going to be going on in the future because a lot of people, I think, even the questions that we're seeing in chat are like esports based and you know release based, mobile based, right? So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and get into the nitty gritty of of that. So um, to start things off, something that we're all really really excited about is mobile TFT, right? Mm-hmm. We all finally can have an excuse to take thirty minute long poops again. 
mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. that's the main core design philosophy at Riot Games for TFT, right? <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak for your team, but I'm sure yep. that's part yep. of it. Um, cool. Yeah, we're on the same page. Yep. Um, but in terms of a game like this, in, it's so funny because when I see questions like, how does mobile change the design philosophy of TFT? I don't really see like, okay, the board on the phone versus the computer, I don't see why it should be different. So can you illuminate to me um, how mobile changes the design of TFT for the future, right? Because sure. you're obviously going into it. Uh, mobile's huge in con- you know in countries in Asia, and people are going to have a lot more access to it. And it's super, super exciting. But does that change anything about the design, design philosophy of TFT for the future? Yeah. Uh, So I think with mobile, I think sort of the obvious thing was like a bigger market, right? Like with any game, you want to have sort of a bigger potential market uh, so that more people can play the game. And the more people play the game, the healthier it'll be. So cool. Mobile is a pretty uh, obvious example. And with TFT in particular, it's like, you know, porting League to mobile is obviously going to have its own challenges because the control scheme is different and things like that. But with TFT, it's like, no, no, this all works on mobile. Great. So like, Porting it over shouldn't be too bad. There are obviously some challenges, UI space, things like that. Um, but overall, should work pretty straightforward. Uh, now, from there, there's a bunch of decisions that could be made. Uh, for example, let's say we were like, okay, we're making mobile, and it's the most important thing. Uh, what we would probably do is we would say, okay, game time. Game time needs to go down mm-hmm. pretty heavily. Uh or we would say something like, hey, mobile screen space is limited. We should probably go back to three rows so that we can fit more board into the space. Um, that, those would be the kind of calls we could make. But with this, I think we're being pretty clear that like our design philosophy is we've got an established audience that is happy, and that's good. They like the game. Cool. Uh, mobile should be about growing that audience to finding more people that will like this game. Not changing the game to mess with people who are already existing, but find more people like that. And so every decision we're making is like, don't sacrifice the game quality as is on PC, but still try to expand the audience. And so an example is like, hey, in the back of our mind, yeah, game time going down would be a good thing, but we're not going to like double player damage to force that. Right. That's Mm -hmm. just not something we're willing to do, you know? And so, like I said, the design philosophy is keep the core game, what it is, good, successful, while using mobile to expand the audience. I'm just really hoping that we're not going to see 58 different currencies uh, like every, like a lot of other mobile games. It's like, oh, to create this to create this brand, you need uh, 58 crystals and then 14, <laughs> 14 uh, metal crystals. It's like, oh, God. Are there, no, are, the, are there the any one. plans to monetize TFT uh, in, outside of those eggs? Because like, it is going to mobile. That's, I, I'm sure some people have questions about that. Yeah, uh, so definitely there is some plans. And you know, you're kind of mentioning the crystals and sort of joking about the monetization. The, the one thing I'll say is like there is an expectation of mobile games, uh, especially of mobile game markets, to have a progression system. Mm-hmm. Like, that's almost a must in mobile mm-hmm. games. And we have that really, really lightly right now with the free pass. Mm-hmm. And when I say really lightly, I think we all can agree that that's like real light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lighter um, than air, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think at some point we will need to expand that. But I, don't, I definitely think, again, we're trying to make games we enjoy as well. I don't think we want to have, you know, the you must log in every day and play three games. And, uh, no, thank you. Uh, so nothing like that. 
Uh, as far as the question of monetization goes, one of the things, so I worked on skins on League of Legends for a while. Mm-hmm. That was what I did when I first got to Riot. So I did things like loot, events, stuff like that. Um, one of the things we learned is like you really have to draw a clear line between rewards that are like freebies and rewards that are clearly meant to monetize, especially because you have a free game. Yeah. So for example, Little Legends, uh, people always talk about like, oh, I'd love to get a free Little Legend for hitting Challenger this season. And it's like, I get that you would, but if we gave that to you, you'd kind of never buy one. And to keep the game alive, we do have to make money. So Little Legends and Maps are going to be one of those things. And when I say Maps, I mean like the higher quality, the frailier yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because even that's actually a debatable one where it's like, well, wait, why would I buy the frailier one when I have the cool ocean one? The frailier um, ones are awesome. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the hope. Uh, we do have to draw that clear distinction where it's like, we have to make money somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the other things we'll probably be exploring at some point is a paid version of a progression system, you know, battle pass kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like Apex uh, we'll, has. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it'll be your choice again, like nothing, no, obviously no pay for power, um, but we'll, we'll probably be exploring something like that. But other than that, we probably don't want to do much more than that. Cause we're not trying to like be one of those games. that's like, here's a million things to buy. It's mm-hmm. like, no, our focus is a fun game, and if you want to support us, here's some cool stuff to buy. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I have no problem with there being more things to buy. I just hate the confusion of, like, I actually, um, because of one of your tweets, I actually started playing Puzzles and Dragons again, <laughs> and there's 5,000 different currencies yep. and, like, a bunch yep. of things, and, like, I don't even mind, like... I, I, you know, I have a job. I have like, I have disposable income. I don't yeah. mind paying for things that I like. I've spent more money than I'm willing to admit on little legends, eggs and frail yard mm-hmm. skins already. Um, yeah. I just don't let, I just don't want like fit five, like three different types of crystals to do like certain things. And then you always end up with like 17 crystals at the end. It's like, oh, yeah. come on. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I mean, every time, so when I was working on loot stuff for League of Legends, like, one of the scariest things was every time it was like, and we'll need a new currency. And you're just like, yeah, no, find a way to do it without that, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally understand. Like, the more you add, right, then it just is, becomes more to manage. And the last thing you want mm-hmm. is for every time you open up your game to have to, like, work, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I have to farm this to buy this in order to yeah. get an extra game here. And eventually that becomes the game. You're not playing the game anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You're farming currency. And I'm glad that you guys are actively trying to avoid that because i will spend hundreds thousands millions of dollars on little legends right like no problem i know it's just a digital thing but you i mean i'm gonna buy little legends whether you like it or not and um it's good to see that you guys know that too right it's just like all right this is how we're gonna keep our ecosystem going to keep this game going into 2020 which uh is tomorrow which is nuts it's a it's a it's a new decade so what are some of your guys's goals like we know that there's mobile. There are things like spectator client that a lot of people are asking for. Is there going to be one for mobile? You know, I'm sure you know all the questions. So let's lay it all out uh, now in terms of goals for 2020. What can you tell us? Okay. Well, I mean, obviously there's the big ones, right? Like we've got mobile. Uh, we'll need to launch set three. Um, our typical plan right now is about three sets per year. So if we look at 2020, we're looking at set three, set four, set five. Um, so all of that has to be done. Uh, 
from a gameplay standpoint, the big thing here is like continuing to learn what makes the game tick, what makes it grow. Because uh, again, I talk about things like rate of change. Uh, we've been talking about like a lot of interviews lately that set two has ended up less flashy and less viewable than set one, for example. So while it is better from like a gameplay balance standpoint, it's been worse from that regard. So it's like, okay, we've learned what worked, what didn't, time to move it forward. And I always compare this to Magic again, because like you look at some early Magic sets and they're pretty bad, mm-hmm. but like you got to walk before you can run. And right. so learning some of that will be good. Um, and then, yeah, there's lots of features. Like I literally spent some time over my break just making a list of stuff that's like things I want to get done in the game. Um, Spectator's one that comes up obviously a lot. I think as soon as some of the engineers free up from mobile, we'll get on Spectator. Uh, the nice thing, Maple tells me that once we do Spectator, we get replays for free uh, nice. because they're similar tech. So, like, that's pretty cool. I mean, it only took regular League of Legends like eight years for that. So, <laughs> uh, I think you got a little bit of buffer time. Yeah. Um, we've, we have announced that there will be a competitive scene. I don't know much about it, so I can't really provide much insight there, but there will be a competitive scene in 2020 so that should be exciting um and then yeah just figuring out how to improve various like again i'm the i'm the math systems designer so like i look at things like the carousel and i'm like that could be so much better can we do all this stuff to it uh yeah so lots of little things here and there but overall goal is release all those big things and grow the game Awesome. Well, and, uh, you know, I just have to give uh, uh, compliments out to you guys in general, something that we talk about on the show. And it's not just to blow hot air up your ass. It's uh, it's um, it's it's for real. Uh, I've been in the gaming industry for a bit uh, as a personality, and I've worked at some game studios in the past. And even my own studio wasn't at, and I was the person that was supposed to do this. Um, wasn't Wait, as I, like, are you, I know, are you right? digging I yourself right now? <laughs> I, no, no, but what I'm saying is you guys are some of the most responsive and most in, inclusive developers when it comes to your game. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that I, I know is going to come in 2020 and I know is a philosophy for you guys because I think you do such a great job in drawing that line of we understand that you guys are opinionated or have strong feelings about this, but on the design team and what our philosophy is we have to make these kinds of choices but like you guys are so good at letting us know that we've been heard right you've made changes based off the things that the community has said but i'm sure that kind of creates a little bit of a you know difficult situation when it comes to relationship with your community in that way where do you draw the line right because i think kasastin is the (laughs) easiest example of i think that's probably the most emotional this community ever was right was when that was super super big you know in terms Mm -hmm. of negative feelings um, where do you draw the line of okay if we listen too much to the community then we give up some of our power but you know they're obviously frustrated okay i'm gonna be a little more open than i probably should here uh <laughs> in, a, in a way that is a really hard question for me because in particular right now i get it from both sides uh i have the community going why don't you listen to us you never listen uh, there was a tweet like three days ago where i guess some french streamer i don't know his name off the top of my head i, I saw that was, tweet I almost but it was basically like, it. why don't you talk to real <laughs> players? You never listen. We need more patches. You're terrible. Uh, at the same time, actually, from some of the designers on my team, I'm being accused of listening to the community too much, uh, basing my decisions off the community and not actually designing enough. Uh, that sucks, dude. That's a really <laughs> shitty position to be in. Like, I'm yeah. just going to be a to your cause. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's my job to prove to them that, like, no, while I'm listening to the community, it is a point of data, and I'm using it with all these other points of data to come up to the best informed decision possible. Uh, Void Assassin was an example where it was like, I listened to the community. I know they wanted it destroyed. Then I looked at the data we had, and the data we had was like, it was in the, like, God, it wasn't even in the top half of, like, performing comps. And I was like... <laughs> Can, uh, can I can I really nerf something that's like not doing that well? And so that's where I made the inconsistent line that got memed for God knows how long. Um, we were part of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. And and what's interesting is like, sure enough, like what ended up happening was like more people caught on to it. We learned about how even if a comp isn't performing a certain way at that time, people then bandwagon and it starts to perform better. And we learned how bandwagon can affect performance metrics. Um. But yeah, and so like, it's definitely a tough thing. And all all I can do is, or at least the thing that has helped me get through both sides, is continue to just be open and honest and be like, "Look, I'm here. I hear you, but here's why I can't." Mm -hmm. And if that's not good enough for some people, I have to accept that. You know, there are going to be some people that are just so mad and so angry, no matter what you say. Sorry, and it's the same with like the designers on the team, like. Oftentimes I have to rephrase because like uh, Riot Jag's a really good friend of mine. And I started a conversation with him about Soulbound after coming back from All Stars. And I was like, yeah, I was talking to the influencers and here's what we thought we need to change. He's like, OK, cool. You're just listening to the influencers. That's not good. <laughs> I'm like, OK, let me rephrase that. I came to this conclusion. Because of this. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the points of data gathered. were this and like mm -hmm. even just the way you approach the conversation can mean a lot um and so tactics like that have been a learning experience for me um and to be frank like i don't know like i am being pretty open with the community maybe it's not the right play i don't know it's just something i'm trying maple's been real supportive um we'll see <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, is uh, you know, you know, when I was a teacher, I was definitely a bad cop more than I was a good cop. Um, but you don't have to talk to the, you know, that's the thing, right? Like, you know, you're hearing it from some of your coworkers. It's like you don't necessarily have to even interact as much as you do. You're doing now, right? I feel like mm -hmm. what you're doing is extra. Like, you, I think you kind of. It is not part of my job requirements. No yeah. one's telling me to do it. Yeah, you're saying it's it much just better. Something than me. I do because. Again, when I'm a fan of a game, I wish they would talk to me and be like, hey, why is it like this? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm going to pick on Hearthstone a bit. Really good game. Nothing against them. But like there were definitely days where I'm like, tell us why you won't change this. <laughs> <laughs> Machine Gun Priest is awful. Why do you keep doing this to us? Quest Rogue. Uh, Quest Rogue. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, oh, we're just going to go down uh, no, no. four each time. I, I, I um, love Quest Rogue, by the way. I was a filthy quest rogue. You know, I you know the thing about quest rogue is I appreciated you know it's you know it's talking about how like way earlier in the podcast already it's like I appreciated the attempt right but I think they yeah. needed to edit it down a little bit right yeah. <laughs> they they they, went, they colored outside the lines a little bit too much on that one I think uh, I'm um, I'm a combo player from MTG I love Splinter Twin but we won't go down that we won't go down that <laughs> line um, but I loved I loved uh, quest rogue and and. and I, I will. I, I just want to make one point because I did see that thread with that streamer, uh, and I I I literally had like a hundred fifty character tweet like ready to go, and I'm like, I'm gonna use my better judgment, and I'm gonna just because it's like 
it's one thing if you disagree and we've had you know we've had disagreements with things that have happened uh in tft or maybe not even disagreements but we've had uh criticisms or discussions about them and i think we try to be reasonable but we're never like oh well you know what mort's an idiot because he's he's not even listening it's like it's one thing even if you disagree but to say that you're not listening and that you don't talk to real players who are the real players I can say from personal experience, because I am in a lot. I watch way uh, more TFT streams than I will admit, because I'll probably get fired from my my actual day job (laughs) if I admit the real number. Okay, but you are in those streams as much as I I see you are in those streams, (laughs) too. I jump in them a lot. You are there for those players. And like, I literally see that happen. So that that is I mean, you're here right now. I mean, and I'm sorry. I had to get like I was that was like that was like the day after Christmas or the day before Christmas, too. And I was like sitting yeah. at in my girlfriend's family's like living room, just like furiously typing. And then I looked it over <laughs> and I'm like, it's Christmas. I need to just yeah. uh, like, uh, part, part know, of this is part of this is right. also like it is the job, right? Like, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. the design lead. I'm not the person doing all the work. Uh, there's right. a whole team behind me of hardworking people. And Leadership 101 basically says, like, when things are done well, the team did a great job. And it's true. Like, it's got a team making a great set. Mm-hmm. You know, Witty and the team made a bunch of cool champions, cool spells. And when things go wrong, it's the lead's fault because the lead let it happen. Mm-hmm. And that's, like I said, it's basic Leadership 101. And so if people are mad about a particular thing, cool. That's part of the job, you know? And got yeah. got to do it. I mean, yeah. I don't think a, a lot of other devs would have released every single Thieves Gloves uh, possibility on <laughs> yeah. their Twitter twice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's not information that we necessarily need, but we have. And like uh, like the professor is saying, I think it makes us a little bit more close-knit, right? I think mm-hmm. secrets are a way to build friendships, unfortunately, <laughs> or more fortunately, right? Information yeah. is currency in everything, right? And so if we know more, the community, I think, feels trusted with that information and we feel validated when we say some of our, you know, say some of like the whole like Cassastin thing when you responded to, uh, you know, to our tweet and I went on this tirade about the Zephyr thing, right? You were yeah, awful, like, man. You you were awful, Boop. <laughs> you, you know, and like, and you still responded and you were like, sorry about the Zephyr thing, blah, 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 right? It's like you didn't have to do that, but you did. And I think that is unique to maybe you and your team. And that made me feel a part of this community just like every everywhere else. And I think the thing with Auto Battlers, because it is new, you guys get to decide what this is like. And mm-hmm. every, every community that I've been a part of in terms of TFT has been so supportive, so open, so so family-like, right? And I think that really does come from the top down. And so I think mm-hmm. that's kind of like me appreciating that you do know where to draw the line. You actually said, you know, I was in debate. I used to, I, I grew up in Washington, D.C., so politics is in, in my blood, unfortunately. And you oof, actually oof. Are, are doing something, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're saying, oh, I hear you, I want to be empathetic. You're, you know, you're asking the questions, you're acknowledging the response, but you're also adapting it to a point where it's like, but this is what it has to be, right? You yep. can't, you have to make a decision. And I think you guys are doing that uh, really, really well. So uh, I, from from us and at least our Little Legends community, we really appreciate that you guys are mm-hmm. leading that charge as well. Yeah, and like I said, the whole team is just excited to have a passionate community behind them, keeps them energetic, keeps us working to make new things. So, Yeah. Um, speaking of new things, though, this is a question that I've brought up 
um, many a time on the podcast. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, and 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 Lev, jump in if you have anything here, because I, I think this is like in terms of philosophy, something that's really interesting. So mm-hmm. I think, and this is just me personally, um, uh, we're talking about 2020 again, and so let's talk about Legends Runeterra, right? So mm-hmm. I think the player base is similar. Right. I know you guys probably have data that, you know, says these people are, you know, this you talked about insights earlier, but are you guys worried at all about Legends of Runeterra and TFT kind of cannibalizing each other? Uh, I don't think so. Um, And that's not just me spouting the company line. Uh, The thing I've been pretty clear on is that I don't think TFT is a game that has to be a lifestyle game, right? It doesn't have to be the game that you constantly play every day all the time. Uh, and so sort of like magic and other things like that, a new set comes out, maybe you play it for a month and you're like, that was cool. And then you move on and then you come back two months later with a new set and you're like, that was fun again. I really enjoyed it. And then you leave and like, that's okay. We don't need every second of every day of your time. Mm -hmm. And so legends of Runeterra is another game. And honestly, it's a game that similar people may like. And so I think what would be silly of us would be to like, release sets for both games at the exact same time Mm, that would be pretty (laughs) stupid (laughs) but for example let's say we release a set and then two months later they release a set like cool you're bouncing between the games you're having a good time or maybe you like legends of runeterra and not tft or whatever like cool as long as you're happy playing games riot's happy uh and so are there similarities yeah sure uh but we've already seen like I'm going to pick on Dog and Hafu for a bit. Like Dog and Hafu both play the same kind of game, but we've seen Dog gravitate towards Hearthstone Battleground, whereas Hafu has stayed with TFT. And like, mm-hmm. cool, that's that's great. As long as everyone's playing games, it's good for the whole ecosystem. Yeah, that's that that's good to hear because I am well, I'm more invested in TFT now, but I am definitely coming from a Magic background, going to be invested in both uh, Runeterra and TFT, and I think. I mean, from the entity of Riot in general, they're obviously going to be happy that I'm going to be playing their games regardless of which one it is. Um, But no, that's good. Uh, That's good to know because it is, I mean, we talked about it before and it's like, well, when, when we first saw Runeterra announced, it was like, well, Runeterra was clearly a game that they had decided was a game. It's a separate thing. It is a full game. There's a full team. Oh yeah. The full that art is amazing. It, it is. It is. It is crazy. The full nine on that. And TFT is also a great game, but it is inside of league of legends. It, you know, as you yep. mentioned, like exploded kind of in terms of your expectation. Yep. So yep. it wasn't riot going, okay, we're going to have two strategy games coming out. In roughly the nope. same time, it was we're going to have one, and then this other one came up and exploded. So it's good to hear the the you know the, yeah, it's, the yeah we we've heard rumors too of other developers that were like okay auto jit battler we should make one but we've got lots of time and then they're like wait riot made another game quickly <laughs> what <laughs> what <laughs> yeah um, I think someone actually in the chat said this was like um, it's something that's very different between those two things too is at least again this is just my opinion um legends of terror like left said was gonna be a thing there's obviously and we've spoken about this on on the podcast and when it comes to developing like a competitive ecosystem and the future spectator modes and stuff like that why haven't they come uh 
earlier than we had anticipated is I've always thought my theory was that everything's going to be kind of reactionary, right? Like, did you, you guys said it doubly exceeded that double like, exceed expectation uh-huh. thing, right? Yep. So everything feels really reactionary. It's like now that we have the player base, we can do this now. Would that be, would that be accurate versus yeah. Legends of Runeterra that kind of already has all of this in there? Yep, that would be 100% accurate. We are, okay. we are playing catch up. And sometimes we're actually paying the cost of going quick, right? Like even something as simple as like our item system, the way it was put together early on was, you know, to use an analogy with like twigs and rubber band and some glue and some love and hopefully it sticks together. (laughs) And we've recently had to go back and like, wait, if we're going to keep this long term, kind of need to make it more stable. And so we've been paying a bit of a dev cost to like put, go back and make sure it's in here for the long haul. Uh, I think League of Legends had a similar thing. Maybe still does. Cough, cough, client. Cough, cough. Uh, (laughs) One day. One day, man. It'll happen, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But that's just, you know, we do what we can. And I I still think it was the right call because, again, people are playing a game now instead of playing a game two years from now. And, you know, I think people don't play a game to have a perfectly scripted client. They play a game because the game is fun, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. The client's nice, but for sure, for sure. Um, this is kind of a combo question, and I know you've actually touched on this in your streams before, but just for the sure. podcast audience, I know you've talked about different ways to play and more specifically different ways to play with friends. One thing mm-hmm. we've talked about on the show is yes, I can I can Boop and I can go into a game and play a ranked game together. And if we're the same exact rank or very close, it's an okay experience, but we're still fighting against each other. Right. And like, even though I'm a filthy degenerate and I want to take LP from boop, most people probably (laughs) don't want to steal LP from their friends when they're playing. So can you kind of elaborate on the, you know, the, at least the, the thought process behind either like a team mode or a way to play with friends that is more cooperative rather than. um, Yeah. So this has been an interesting problem. This is like, certainly again, we've, we hear the community. A lot of people have been asking for the two V two V two V two mode. And in fact, Ananda, one of our new designers who joined us from the legends of Runeterra team uh, has sort of been tasked with this particular problem. Uh, So we've been doing some research because again, we agree that like if, if me, the example I always use is like, so me and my wife could play TFT together. Right. And mm-hmm. I say her in particular because she hasn't played yet. And like, that, like take that skill differential. Mm-hmm. How do they enjoy the game together? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've looked at some other competitors, for example, Underlord did their 2v2v2 mode. Uh, and we're like, that's probably not right for TFT. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played it, but some of their rules are just like, they're, they're complicated. Um, I think challenger players would like it. Not many other people would. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been doing our own research into like, what does our version look like? Uh, we actually had one pitch we were kind of happy with, but the more we look at it, we're like, eh, I don't think this is really going to land where we need it to. Um, so right now we're kind of back at the drawing board on that, but, uh, it is something we're definitely interested in. And again, this goes back to resources where it like, it might Mm -hmm. be a year before we get to it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully not, but maybe, um, but finding what's good for TFT to get people to play together is definitely something we want. Yeah, definitely. It is definitely, I mean, TFT does cover a, a, a large swath of different players. Um, and, you know, being able to play with 
a, a friend who's just learning or um, something like that is definitely uh, something that we're going to mm-hmm. want. So that's, that's good to know yeah. that that is some that. of, uh, yeah. Some of my favorite times has been like driving my friends, like spectating them and being like, okay, now buy this. Okay. Now buy this. This is why, <laughs> right. I'm not the one playing and like, I'm helping, you know, I get to play with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the, I think like another really big question in terms of, and we touched on it on the pre-show. So uh, in terms of community and feedback, and we're we're moving backwards a little bit, but I think it's it's good. Is who are we listening to, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, someone in the chat was like, "Hey, do we have? It, does it have any weight to be a challenger at TFT? Right? Who are you designing for? What is that philosophy? Because." your core group is going to be the ones that are advertising your game on Twitch, right? Mm-hmm. Those challengers are going to be sure. the ones that are bringing in those viewers. Uh, so do you make the game for them? So you keep them or do you, you know, and this is like an age old game development question, yep. right? Are you balancing to the top 1%? Or you're balancing to, you know, the other 99 because. Well, so all, so right? I'm going to call you out on that. Cause there's actually two different questions in there. I don't know if you realized you asked. Okay. Uh, because the first is who do we make the game for? And the second is who do we balance the game? for yes yep very good uh, i'm glad you called me out yeah because who do we make the game for the answer is we make the game for everyone everyone, everyone yeah. should be yeah. able to enjoy it so for example an example would be like maybe we should make a tutorial challenger players don't give a shit if we make a tutorial you know and like right. that doesn't mean we're not listening to them it just means we have to make the game for everybody and so there will be features and things that are needed for everyone to enjoy the game this is why there's map skins to collect and other things like that uh, so we are making the game for everybody. Who are we balancing it for? Like I said with the Olaf thing earlier, that's been kind of the interesting debate. My philosophy, and again, some of the designers on the team don't agree with this. This is some, but right now I get to make that call. Is I am designing the game because there is not much of an actual APM check, execution check. I am balancing the game as if robots were playing it. So it's like if you had robots. It would like synergistically try to beat each other up and find the optimal thing. What is balance? Mm-hmm. And that is what I've been trying to balance around. And so when challenger players give me their feedback and they're like, this is not balanced and here's why, that definitely holds more weight than say a silver player going, Olaf is overpowered. Please nerf or I quit the game. Uh, that definitely has more weight. But when a challenger player says, we desperately need 2v2v2v2 exactly like Underlords, I'm like, <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure that's correct. And here's why, you know? So again, definitely holds weight, but the other thing, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, but oftentimes challenger players are very, very engaged. They play a lot uh, and they can get very hyperbolic about various things. Uh, They make, they jump to conclusions fairly quickly sometimes. And so we have to be careful that that information while being given from the goodness of their heart is correct. You know, needed a little bit of research. <laughs> yeah, I was told by my father back back in the day. I remember I was really little, uh, and I I was I was a musician. I was a music major in college, and I had gotten like a really bad audition. Uh, I was like in fifth grade, and he was like, "Remember feedback. You know, you." You don't need to be a sponge, be a filter, right? Because everyone has their biases towards how they give it, right? It's because of what they want. And if you take all the feedback all the time, you're never going to change, right? Because you never know which is going to be best for you. So it seems like you're kind of taking that same philosophy when it comes to, okay, challenger players know a lot about the mechanics of the game, but since they're so close, it's why doctors and psychologists can't work on their family, right? Because of that closeness, it's going to be a little bit difficult to like separate that emotion from it. 
Yeah, I'll call out like Delicious Milk, for example, who's been like the number one player for a long time. Mm-hmm. Super passionate player, but like he gets real energetic real quick. And it's like, uh, you know, he plays Shadow once, gets fifth and says, Shadow's the worst, please buff. And it's like, <laughs> I, maybe, maybe not yet. I was going to say uh, Cloud9 uh, Soju, K3 Soju jumps out yeah. to me because I'm pretty sure I've seen him say that Rangers are both busted and also unplayable in the same game that he's played. Yep. And he's flipped yep. multiple times. Like he's very, I, I think he does it on purpose cause it's funny, but uh, yeah. So that's, that's one thing, but boop yep. that, that actually reminds me of a thing, uh, a piece of wisdom that my father actually gave me. And he said, uh, uh, Blev, yes, he calls me by my last name, even though that's also his last name. Uh, <laughs> Don't ever read Reddit. Um, <laughs> nice. That was uh, very. I he, thought you were going to say something like, "You can eat corn twice." <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm gonna go watch Kate's done quick, I, real quick. Can, yeah, can, can I delete? <laughs> I'm googling how to delete a podcast. <laughs> can I? Not just this episode, the entire podcast and all history of it. Um, but. <laughs> You know, I thought we could go through a whole episode without talking about something that made me want to vomit. Um, <laughs> but here we are. Um, I've done let's, my job. let's get back into at least something related to gaming or not related to that. Um, one <laughs> one uh, question again, I've, I've heard you kind of uh, gloss around on your uh, streams is um, things like the elemental hexes and mm-hmm. A, those are those looking to be something that's kind of like an evergreen mechanic in the sense that we'll see something like that in every set. And then to kind of piggyback off of that, I had uh, some questions come in about positioning. And if you look at the difference between set one and set two positioning, you know, you can argue one is more important than the other in, in terms of the difference, but they're, they're certainly different where we're positioning against Hextech. We're positioning very specifically versus assassins in set one versus, Mm -hmm. uh, all that. Is there, you know, how, how do you feel about how positioning has, uh, you know, played out in set two? Okay. So I think there were like three, there's probably three or four different questions. Um, okay. So first off, (laughs) let's talk about set mechanics. Uh, elemental hexes have done their job pretty well. Uh, they're a pretty simple mechanic, and the goal of them was to make each game play out differently. And in that regard, they've been a success, right? Like, Senna on an ocean game is like, whoa, she insta-casts, which makes her way more valuable. Great. So some games with ocean, you want to run Senna, whereas you wouldn't run Senna on a cloud game. Cool. Because uh, again, our goal was like, we want to make sure that if you look up a guide, it's not always the right answer. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, that has helped. Uh, cough, cough, blender, not necessarily 100%, but uh, it has helped. Uh, And so we want a core mechanic like that in every set that, again, makes each game feel different, adds to the replayability of the game. Uh, We think that's healthy. Now, will Elemental Hexes stick around? Uh, Realistically, probably not. Uh, We'd probably come up with a new mechanic for each set. Um, but that being but that being said, if we found a mechanic that we're like, okay, this is just so good, it'll stay around. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about elemental hexes is it might be there. We might not know it, and I think it's going to take a set of it being off to learn whether or not that's true. Like it certainly feels better than set one. 
that's true. But set three's mechanic could be even better, and so elemental hexes aren't necessary. Or set three's mechanic might be a miss, and we're like, God, I miss elemental hexes. Mm-hmm. That's so funny you're saying that, because uh, Lev and I are really closely associated with another game, Overwatch, and Overwatch. we had a meta called Goats that everyone hated when it was there. And then now that we're away from it, all of a sudden, Goats is like the best meta Overwatch has ever had. You know what I mean? It was like... Yep. We we've been around the block, you know. I've been doing the over the competitive Overwatch podcast for since 2015, and it's funny when you see new groups of people. I mean, we're even seeing it now with TFT being such a, a new game. When you see new groups of people come in and they're like, "Oh my god, Blender is so broken." It's like, well, do you remember when it was this? Do you remember when the meta was this? And it's like, the, <laughs> back in my do, day, Pepperidge Farm. Well, it, it's always yep. funny because a lot of times, to the the credit of game developers, they do things that change the thing that people didn't like before, and then it's exactly those changes that people don't like now, and they're like, oh, well, we wish that it was like this. We wish uh, that Widowmaker was good again. It's like, okay, well, then they made Widowmaker good. And it's like, oh, well, Widowmaker, Mercy's broken. It's like, okay, well, we put a bunch of shields in. Oh, we hate shields. What are you doing? It's like, <laughs> you're never happy. And like, I'm not even a game developer, and I see this, so I can only, or game designer, I can only imagine what it's like on your end. Well, and certainly that's why our, our goal is definitely not make everyone happy, because that would be an impossible goal that would drive me insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I always joke that, like, 915's Karthus is, like, my biggest mistake on TFT. Mm. You know, it's just like, so the, the rule is, don't do that again. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so so as far as systems go, like I said, we're always looking for the next thing. And if it's good enough, it'll come back and stick around. And mm-hmm. But like I said, to really know for sure, I think we're going to need to go a set without elemental hexes to be like, God, we really just need those back. And we need to get rid of Mountain and add a different one instead and call them something else. And great, cool. Um, so then there was the question about positioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, positioning has been a hot topic no pun intended, uh, hot topic <laughs> amongst uh, the design team right now because we're working on set three. And we also, when we went to All-Stars, we talked to a lot of influencers and they had similar uh, conversations. Uh, we do have the bigger board now, which is good, but positioning this fet- set feels less important. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Our current belief, or at least my current belief, is that this actually has to do less with the board size and more to do with champion abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, something as simple as Cassadin, who, and I'm mean not not Void Cassadin, yeah. but just Cassadin, good old fashioned. Whose job was Cassidy. to, <laughs> yeah, whose job was to auto attack somebody and make them cast less quickly. Mm-hmm. The position that you placed him could change the outcome of a fight because you hit their Sejuani or you hit yep. their Cho'Gath, mm-hmm. and they didn't ult as quick, and that was huge. Uh, and we don't have as many of those this set. In fact, a lot of our spells this set are like random. Like, Talia stuns a random unit, and I've had a few challenger players be like, that actually feels like Phantom, where it's like, if she stuns my carry, guess I lose. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think when we're coming up with spells for set three, we need to have more positioning tactics. Now, I can't spoil anything yet, but for example, we actually, when we were doing the items for 10-1, we ended up making three items that were so good, we've decided to hold them off till set three, which I know sounds weird. But they're very disruptive and interesting. And one of them in particular has this cool new targeting paradigm that's very position-based. And so it's like, we'll be looking to make adjustments like that where the positioning matters more to the outcome of the fight Mm. in a way that feels natural. Um, 
And like I said, the bigger board allows us to do some things like that. We just didn't quite execute it as well as we could have in set two. That's very interesting, actually. And I mean, one of the items that I know you have talked about uh, extensively in the past before it was really even used was Zephyr. And that is one that is it really it's kind of eye opening. The first time that you really get someone with a Zephyr, it's like oh this is amazing and then also yep. like it, it it even has that like it's got the obvious one like okay i'm gonna hit their uh you know their carry and they're not gonna be in and then by the time they come back they're dead but it's also like i have hit um i've hit the wrong champion like i picked the champion and it hit the champion i picked but my decision was wrong yep. and i was like oh that was a huge learn and it's like Yep, I, I'm not a I'm not an amazing player, but there's so there's few times where I'm like, oh, I learned something extremely new and valuable there, and Zephyr yeah. and that sort of positioning is one. Yeah, uh, certainly T gets the credit for making Zephyr, but Zephyr is single handedly, I think, the best item design wise for TFT, and one of the things that separates us from other auto battlers because it adds such an element of skill and decision making and mind games. Totally agree. Yep. Such a good item. Um, okay, so what? just real quick, um, let's talk about the other side of that equation, at least my <laughs> opinion. Um, I have very strong, like, so uh, I've said a lot about Ionic Spark, uh, just, mm-hmm. just in general, when you're rewarded just for having, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, I have Ionic Spark, or I have this, now I have damage. And you've yeah. actually mentioned in the past that Ionic Spark is something that you guys are looking at. When you mm-hmm. think of Zephyr and you talk about how good that item is because it's so fun and interactive, you know, the, the wonderful saying mm-hmm. in uh, game development, um, why are there items like Zephyr and uh, Static Shiv that, you know, feel a little bit more... I have it now. It's it's a good thing. Well, so let's be clear. I think Zephyr is a really good item, but if every item was Zephyr, the game would be terrible. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to need your sort of base items that are simple, easy to understand. I think Static Shiv is a great example of this, right? It's like you buy Static Shiv, it does damage, and you put it on things that attack faster, and it does more damage. Yay! It's flashy and exciting. Mm-hmm. You need those kind of items in the game. And at least Static Shiv has an interesting decision of, like, do I put it on a Ranger? Do I put it on somebody who benefits from the tier to get the extra mana? Like, there are interesting decisions there. Um, Ionic Spark, as much as I personally don't like the item, because as you said, it's literally like, it exists. I know when it worked (laughs) on the bench, that was the worst. (laughs) Uh, But even that has an interesting decision of, like, well, wait, do I put it on the Kogma? because it'll likely stay alive longer? Or do I put it on the Skarner because it shields itself because the Kogma might get assassinated? So at least that had some level of decision-making that we were, like, borderline okay with it. Now, that being said, in 10.1, Ionic Spark is changing to have a limited range, so there's even more decision-making now. Nice. Um, But, yeah, and so like I said, you do need a a wide variety of types of items. Um, Yeah. So... I personally loved right. the getting stacking ionic sparks and of course Boop's Boop's favorite uh Yordles. Uh <laughs> just just getting nothing uh. but <laughs> <laughs> I uh. hear the word Yordles and this has been like it's not TFT. Like Yordles have this ability to just cause me to enter a rage and like that's their design. Right? That's yeah. the point. Like when you face Teemo, like you are a sociopath if you're facing a Teemo and you're like, this is great. I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. E- even something like Ionic Spark, it's interesting because it was originally designed as one of the items that would A, counter frequent spell casts, but B, 
we do think there's some value in a fantasy where like there's a build that you're like i'm just really tanky and resilient and i outlast you you know and like Mm -hmm. that kind of comp has to exist uh because one of the other things like we have to be careful is every comp can't be a front line with backline damage right Mm -hmm. that just kind of like plows into each other there has to be interesting ways to win this is why glacial has stuck around so long even though it's clearly been a point of frustration is is like this is a comp that doesn't out damage you it just holds you in place Mm -hmm. uh and so we are still looking for more of those kind of win conditions ionic spark was one that was supposed to help enable one of those yeah you know it's so funny because just today i was playing pokemon and i was i forget the name of the pokemon it looked like a mushroom but all of the abilities were healing abilities so what it did was it took all of like you know how each move has a certain number that you can do it took all Mm -hmm. of that away from me and i was like oh my god right this is like a legitimate strategy that you know pokemon is is using that's kind of what you're speaking to it's just like you know damage is damage but how cool is it if you know we just win a war of attrition instead Mm -hmm. right or you know i've always loved i I loved playing Brawlers uh, back in set one because I just like, I, I loved playing Cho'Gath back in the day because it's mm-hmm. just like a little mini game of how much health they can have. Right? Yeah, I mean, the, outlast you. The common one is like Magic the Gathering, the blue player, right? Mm-hmm. Like you need the blue player as frustrating as they are to face sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you gotta, they still exist. Yeah. Um, no, they exist. A lot of the degenerate uh, <laughs> high level players are, are those types of players for sure. Yep. Um, we are running quickly out of time we still have a little bit left so let's jump in and get some of these uh more i guess i just put them under random but they're they're kind of all over the place one i wanted to start out with and i don't i don't recall if you've if you've touched on this or not but uh one thing that um has come up just specifically from our game nights is and and you've done this on stream too, is like these wacky games, right? Mm-hmm. Where one is like, you can't level up if you've done that and you can't, yep. uh, you can't roll. And the one that we do is, uh, it, it's got a, a bunch of rules, but it, is there any thought to having like a, maybe like a sandbox mode or something like that, where we can change the actual rules of TFT and play in that? I'm trying to break this down. Cause like when you use the term sandbox, Typically, people think like practice tool, and I know oh, that's okay. not what you're asking. Um, well, I mean, that can our also answer, be a thing. <laughs> well, so practice tool, we've been pretty clear that like we're not going to do that because okay. part of the excitement is you know chasing after that three star lux and that time mm-hmm. when you get it. It's a huge momentous occasion, and next time you want to get it with a different lux and different item. And if you mm-hmm. could literally just load up a tool and try it out, it loses all its excitement. That is very That's interesting. Hard. I never thought about that. That's so true. Well, though. I mean, it's, I still have the bounty out for three star Malkai with two mage caps or, or Malfi. Yeah, not Malkai. Yeah, no, no, it was yep. Mal, it was Malkai with two mage. We got, caps, we, so that, we got the one so in the podcast. So that people, so that yeah. people will try <laughs> to do that against me. No, it was a, it was a five yep. head move, but yeah. Yeah, and so like again, if you can load up a tool and just do that, then it loses all of its excitement and luster. So we're just not interested in doing that. Now, the other thing you're describing, though, you called it sandbox. I'll equate it to like Smash Brothers with like the custom brawl. Yes. yes. Where you can like change the rules and they had like the Take flower brawl and percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally think something like that would be very beneficial. Uh, realistically, on the priority list, it's going to be really small. Uh, we've learned from League of Legends that like custom games have definitely a dedicated audience, but a very, very small audience. Mm-hmm. And so realistically, when it comes to like business, you know, using your resources to get the best return, unfortunately, it's not a very big return. Mm -hmm. Now, all that being said, I still think there's something there of like, 
the best example is like uh, Hearthstone's Tavern Brawl, mm. where it's like slight modifications can do some really fun things. And we've also talked about like bringing back set one, for example, for like limited times. Mm-hmm. I think there's something there of like, hey, cool set comes back with set one and you can't level cool. Have it for two days. That could be kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm kind of just spitballing ideas. Yeah, that would have been awesome during our uh, three week break a little earlier uh, before ranked came out. True. That would have been awesome. <laughs> but I mean, like, again, we're, we're playing catch up. And so these yeah, are features, even if they're a sense. year or two down the road, uh, could add some longevity to the game. And you talk about ways to play with, you know, less skilled players. Jumping into a less serious mode might be a good area to do that. So, yeah. Speaking of, um, are there going to be anything like in terms of uh, onboarding new players? Uh, someone mentioned in the chat that it can be pretty difficult to like just get into a game, and if someone's not like just grab the infernos, right, or yep. just grab wardens and to see how it works, right? Yeah. Because uh, you're kind of just like thrown into the wolves with TFT. Is there any plans to help out with that? I was assuming something with mobile, but yeah, uh, the mobile team is actually working on some onboarding as well. So especially that audience will probably need a little bit more mm-hmm. handholding than the PC audience. Um, all that being said, though, a lot of people jump to like a game needs a tutorial and it's like it's not actually true. Or if anything, you have to be a really well designed tutorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, did the because like a lot of the times people are like, oh, tutorials need a lot of text. And it's like, nope. You know what players don't like to do? Read true. at all. True. Um, and so I actually got to work and design the new League of Legends tutorial and use what I learned at Nintendo to do that. And it's like, if you go back and look at the League of Legends tutorial now, it's actually really interesting because it doesn't tell you anything until you don't do anything. It's like, oh, we we noticed you're struggling to move. Here's a little right-click icon. Oh, because something I learned from a uh, PopCap GDC talk was like, if you can get a player to do something once, they'll learn it forever. Mm -hmm. If you ask them to read something, they'll never learn it. True. It's not just players. I think that's. I mean, that's, that's me. That's just I mean, life. every that's aspect life of my life. Yeah, if there wasn't a Spark Notes version of the book in high school, I just like wasn't gonna do well that chapter <laughs> for that part of English. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well. Um. Okay. So let's. Uh. One last philosophical thing before we get into some of the funnier stuff. Sure. Um, Something that we have talked about on the podcast before, and I think uh, in terms of meta, is do you guys have like a preferred way to play the game, right? Uh, or how you want people to interact with the game at first? Uh, because we've talked about things, I think the term we use is the perfect meta, right? Mm-hmm. Is Blender part of that? Or was or, or is hyper-rolling you know, the way to play TFT? And I know the answer is there are many different ways to play TFT, but when you're thinking of the majority of people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you think of when you, when you hear something like that, right? So, so what's interesting is I think we had an idea of what we wanted it to be. And what we wanted it to be was, you know, pieces show up and you react to those pieces and build a comp around what's been given, right? And it's like, oh, I'm getting a lot of predators in this game. I should go a predator comp and I should roll with that and and roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think as we've learned, though, as our systems and everything, that the way you actually play it, and again, I don't know if this is correct, but this is the way you play right now, is you look at your items you go, okay, these items work for this endgame comp that I can envision and want to chase after. Mm-hmm. So I should build those items and I should find units that can use those items well in the meantime mm-hmm. while I work towards that endgame comp. And that's how it's currently being played out. 
is that correct? Is that what we want? Eh. Uh, I don't know that we actually originally wanted items to be quite as important as champions. Uh, you know, because champions are kind of like the bread and butter of League of Legends. Yeah. RIP is really good. And so if you told me, actually, if you get an Infinity Edge, that dictates your whole build. Eh, maybe not correct. Um, but again, that's part of like game development on the fly as well as like learning what it is and trying to adapt it. And I think one of the things we did with set two was we actually lowered a lot of the items power and they're still really good. Uh, you know, so it's the kind of thing we might toy with, like maybe it needs to go down even lower or maybe not. I don't know. Um, but the more generic answer to your question, like you said, is like, as long as there are lots of ways to play, we're happy. Um, but even if we are still kind of learning, like, what actually is the real way to play this game? Um, we're kind of along for the ride as well. Cool. Yeah, that is that that is very interesting to hear because that's one of the, that was one of the big unlocks for me when I first started playing was like because I was playing like okay yeah I got you know uh, I've got some uh, some rangers I'm going to go into rangers and it's like oh well I have a bunch of uh, rods so it's actually not super good. And then like that unlock of like, oh, well, I've got, you know, these bows, then I'm going to be looking towards rangers and like having the items have more significance. And especially yeah. with like carousel priority, it's like the item is way more important in general. Um, yeah, I mean, Blender Comp relies not just on Blade of the Ruin King. That's only part one. You need the infinity edges as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so it's like all that prioritization is what dictates everything. So. Yeah, for fascinating sure. stuff for it. Fascinating. <laughs> A- absolutely. Okay, we we have to ask the question that we've that we've all been waiting for, Mort. We need yep, to get yep. your opinion. Which little legend tastes the best? Uh, the the dark answer is it's got to be Silverwing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's right? like it's like KFC except more delicious. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, okay. So I think the bigger debate is this. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going. With oh this. God! You why? think that the happier little legends taste better oh, than the sadder little legends? Because I think the happier ones must taste better. Their meat oh, must be ten more tender, God. right? But then you think about like the philosophical, like, oh, do you want to kill something when they're happy? But I mean, if they taste well, better, I mean, if you're literally just asking what tastes better, I assume something more happy is more active and more energetic. And therefore has more meat on its bones. Yep. And therefore tastes better. And this is a really dark conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it always gets there. We had such a good we had there. we had ninety percent of just such a good and we just had to throw it. That's <laughs> the way I, I still place this above the corn comment. Yeah. Oh, okay, this okay, is this is okay. miles above that. So so I did I did ask someone this question yesterday and it blew my mind because someone said it was um uh, oh I'm uh, the river sprite because it tastes like water. Yes. And I was you wash like, it down with a river sprite. Yeah, so you 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 eat your uh, silver wing, you wash it down with a, a river sprite and you're you're good to go, right? I mean, look, like water's fine, but like it's never going to be like, man, what are you craving? I'm craving some water. <laughs> Exactly. No. I mean, there are some hydro homies out there, but I think you're right. Uh, yeah. Anyone who's like mm, a ribeye steak or a water, like what? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, I know, enjoy right? Well, water like other humans do. Do do. Oh man, r slash totally not robots is my new favorite subreddit. <laughs> Please because give me I get the water from boo. them. 
Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Um, and uh, okay, well, thanks for contributing to the tier list. Uh, I appreciate it. But um, one last thing uh, before you go, and Bennett's had a, this is a, a great thing. What do you like to do outside of gaming? You mentioned earlier that you had kids. Uh, I mean, do you like gaming with your kids? Is that the thing you like to do outside of League of Legends? Um, like, what are what are some of your hobbies outside of being the Mort God? So this is, uh, again, maybe one of the weird ways to end it, but I'm actually a pretty boring person. Like, I'm very one-track <laughs> mind. I mean, the room is like a gaming room. I I do a lot of gaming. Uh, for example, I've been I've went to Vegas like three times this year, but Vegas is actually fascinating to me from a game design perspective. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, look at all this stuff. me as a good craps player for that reason. Uh, possibly. Um, <laughs> I, I went to a football game with Riot Jag, and it's like, I'm just interested in it as a game because it's like understanding the rules and things like mm-hmm. that is fascinating. Um, so yeah, so for me, like my life is family and games and work, and that's it's it. It's it's both healthy and unhealthy. Like I don't do much else, but at the same time, it's what allows me to kind of stay devoted to each of those. Like mm-hmm, I've yeah. chosen three things and I do them really, really well. Um, so yeah, as far as like family goes, um, my daughter just got a laptop for Christmas, which blows my mind that an 11 year old in this day of age <laughs> has a laptop, but apparently that's normal now. So just trying to like help her navigate the internet, uh, which is challenging. That's got to be terrifying. Yeah, I was going to say it that is, is fear. <laughs> she's, uh, she's been playing Roblox lately and Roblox nice. is very community based and, you know, 11 year old girl on the internet in a community based game, you're like... Okay, let's see this. <laughs> I could not but, imagine that. But like, I've also been a weird parent. Like, we let her play Diablo three when she was six, right. and it's I'm weird because that. it's an M rated game. But to her, it was like kill the enemies really easily on normal, get new clothes, and play dress up. <laughs> and you're like, cool, have fun. Yeah, I spent like an hour dressing up my Pokemon dude yesterday. <laughs> I like saved up a bunch of money and I just went shopping. Like, like in in the game, and I hate shopping in real life. I don't know why, but I I feel I I get it. I I get why you just want to like look because you get power over how that character looks like. That's super cool for a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is definitely awesome, and that is that's really great to hear. Uh, I'll I'll end it on one fun story, kid related. Yes, let's hear. One it. of the best things a game designer can do actually is to have kids, and the reason for this is remember how I talked about how like understanding other players' perspectives mm-hmm. is really uh-huh. important. To, Watching a five-year-old interact with games is will just open your eyes. And the moment for me most recently when I had, not most recently, but a really big moment was my daughter had two Wii U games to play. Yoshi's Wooly Yarn World mm-hmm. and Splatoon. And when you look at those two, you're like, okay, which one would the kid enjoy more? It's got to be Yoshi, right? Mm-hmm. Yoshi, Wooly World, it's all... It's a great game. I mean, you'd think it'd be good. <laughs> And the answer is no, not even close. It was Splatoon. And the reason, like, she beat Splatoon at age six and, like, only got to level two in Yoshi's Yarn World. Hmm. And the reason for this was, like, the controls. Like, Yoshi is actually a pretty complicated game. You have to jump, move, use the tongue, throw the eggs, Mm -hmm. flap around. Really complicated control scheme. You know what Splatoon is? Move and shoot. True. (laughs) That's it. Move and shoot. You know what she can do? Move and shoot. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, those are the types of things that I would just never think of. So that's that's really yeah. And so like think. when you look at your your system mechanics, you're like, whoa! If I really want everyone to play this, it's got to be real simple. And that's where like Splatoon gets a lot of points because it's just it's it's move and shoot. That's it. 
Who, um, in terms of your testing, who is better, the five-year-old child or the sixty-five-year-old Karen? Uh, the sixty-five-year-old Karen. Okay, all right. And That's the reason, surprising, actually. The reason for that is kids will adapt to anything. Hmm. They will try to learn, and they will try. Like we actually found, like eleven-year-old kids to be awful for testing because it's just like they'll beat anything. You throw it at them, they will try to do anything. A sixty-five-year-old Karen will be like, "This is dumb." I quit. <laughs> And That's so it's great. like, you've got to figure out how to make them go, oh, actually, I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, like you give a kid a stick and they'll be like, this is awesome. I love it. True. <laughs> That's awesome. I- I've had some some real fun times making up games with a stick uh, yep. with my friends. Um, yeah. But that is our time. <laughs> no, no, boop. No, no. <laughs> Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm beeping you out. Of, I'm beeping you out of this episode. That's um, the name of my college dorm. I couldn't uh, do it. I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't help it. Couldn't I couldn't resist. help it. Couldn't resist. Okay, on not on that note. On a on a on a different note. Mort, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. We appreciate everything that you do. Uh, the floor is yours. Any sellout shoutouts? Anything you want to talk about or uh, you know promote or final words are yours sure sure i just like on behalf of everyone on the tft team and i mean everyone again like everyone playing the game and being energetic and is what keeps us going uh keep giving us feedback we love hearing from you guys uh we just you know we want to make the best game that you guys will enjoy so thank you so much for everything you guys do and play the game so yeah well there you have it folks that was Mort Dog, the one and only. Thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, I know this was a little bit more of an unconventional episode. It was a longer one, guys, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, but that is going to be it for us, for Mort Dog, for Boop. I am the Levens, and we will catch you guys in 2020. See ya! Goodbye! Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.